passage for today, and it's uh, Malachi chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 6. Malachi 4, uh, 4 through 6, and uh, this is the last uh, little section in our, our series to the book of Malachi. Starting in verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction." And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that uh, you would speak to us uh, today in this hour, Lord. We take the, ask that you would take these words, uh, these living words through the power of your Spirit and press them into our hearts uh, to show us our sin, but to show us even more the beauty and the grace of our Savior. Uh, Lord, transform each and every one of our lives. Here we ask. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, when you take a road trip, there's always that initial excitement when you get started that, you know, we're on the road. We're, we're finally headed out. When you have kids, this phase lasts about six minutes, <laughs> at which point they ask into their 10-hour drive, are we there yet? Then there's that excitement of getting close. Okay, we're going to make it. But there's that long middle chunk where things say, seem to slow down and you wonder if you're ever going to make it. Growing up in Colorado, this space was known as Kansas. <laughs> it is impossibly long and miraculously flat and mile upon mile of cornfield. And there are no natural wonders in Kansas. So people created them. Come see the world's largest art easel. Exit 19, a 50-foot concrete teepee, exit 204, the world's largest cowboy spur, exit 275, a 30-foot-tall statue of Johnny Caw, don't know who he is, neither do I, but guess you'd better stop, exit 303. On any long road trip, that middle space is tough. It's boring. You can only see so many of the world's largest of anything. You might question the wisdom. Should we have really taken this road trip with all these young kids? Maybe next year we'll just stay, do a staycation. And I think the Christian life is very similar. We've been redeemed. You became a Christian at some point in your life. God moved in your life where you wanted to know him. And yet you're still a long ways from home. And it can feel like you're just traveling in the middle of Kansas. Any of you ever felt that way? Maybe some of you feel that way right now in your Christian life. And this is where we spend the bulk of our Christian life. It can be hard. It can be discouraging. It can be difficult to keep the faith. And you can wonder, am I ever going to get there? Am I making any progress? But we're not the first people to wrestle with this. In fact, all of God's people have wrestled with this. And what we're going to see in our passage is God has a reminder for us when we feel like we're in those doldrums of the Christian life, that long middle space. 
And this is the last of our, our series through the book of Malachi. It's kind of come and gone rather quickly, actually. And hopefully uh, you guys have enjoyed it. I, I know a number of you have said Malachi is not the book that I would often turn to, uh, and yet you've discovered many hidden gems in this text. This book was written to a people who were in the middle of a journey, and they were wondering, does God still care? Will we ever make it home? And here's what I want us to remember. Don't lose heart. We are living in this space of grace. Don't lose heart. We are living in this space of grace. And you'll understand what that means here in a little bit. We're going to look at this three points. First, keep the faith. And then first, the grace of repentance. Second, the grace of repentance. And then third, the grace of judgment. So first, keep the faith. These last couple of verses I saved because they're, in some ways, a summary of the entire book of Malachi. The main theme or the main question we've looked at in this book is, does God still care? God has been silent to these people. He seems distant. And sometimes we feel that same way, and it's easy for us to wonder, if God doesn't seem to care about us anymore, why should we care about Him? It's tough to be all in in a relationship where you feel like it's very much one-sided. But over and over again in this book, God responds to the people saying, yes, I still care. Yes, I'm still at work. Don't give up. Keep the faith. You're just in the middle of this long journey. It's long. It's flat. You may wonder if you'll ever make it. But I'm at work, and I am leading you home. And we see that in verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. Now, there's a lot here in this sentence, so let me just unpack a few things. First, that word remember is a significant word in Scripture. It doesn't just mean remembering like something like, hey, remember when we took that road trip to California last year? That was a lot of fun. No, it's a remembering something that makes a difference in the present. Kind of like, remember how mom told us not to lick a flagpole in winter? Maybe we shouldn't do that right now. That's the type of remembering God is calling the people to. When Moses was coming to the, the end of his life and he was passing on to the Israelites his last words over and over again, he warned them, don't forget Deuteronomy 4.9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. One of the continual struggles in the Christian life is that we're forgetful. We forget about God. We forget about His faithfulness. We forget about what He has done for us. Where do you find yourself forgetting God? Where do you find yourself struggling to trust God with what's going on right now? And then it goes on to say, remember what? The law of my servant Moses. And then it specifies the decrees and laws that I gave him at Horeb. Now, Horeb is a, another term or word for that region around Mount Sinai. And Israel camped out at Mount Sinai there, and God spoke to them. He spoke to them first, the Ten Commandments, and then he gave them, gave them a bunch of other rules and instructions for how they were to set up their community. 
And after God spoke these things, several times, in fact, the people respond together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So what we have in our passage is something of what we could call a covenant renewal. Sometimes when you, you reach a, a major wedding anniversary, that couple will want to do a vow renewal. And what do you do? You kind of you know, reenact your marriage ceremony or you go somewhere special or maybe you go to where you got married and you remember, you recite those vows, those promises that you made to each other so many years ago as a way of refreshing and recommitting yourself to that. And that is what God is calling the people to do with him. Renew your covenant with me. Remember those promises that your ancestors said so many centuries ago. Yes, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Refresh, get, get, you know, have more zeal, have more desire to do that. And Malachi is organized into six conversations. We spent one week looking at each one of them. And each one of those conversations was God pointing out to the people some place where they had forgotten what he had told them all the way back in Sinai. Whether it's forgetting God's commitment to be with them and to be faithful to them, or their, God's requirement that they bring wholehearted sacrifices, or how they're not giving back to God, or how they're treating their spouses, and, and so on, that the people had forgotten what God had asked of them. And so here, God is calling them to get back to the basics of their spirituality. He's not saying you need some new and exciting thing you just need to recommit yourself to the fundamentals, which I think is such a great reminder for us. When you're in the doldrums, when you don't feel like you're on fire for God, what do you do? You don't often need some new or exciting thing because that thing will soon fade. You need to recommit yourself to the fundamentals of the faith, those basic practices and those habits that we have that will form you and will get you much further than you realize if you just faithfully show up day after day and week after week. We face the doldrums and all kinds of things in life, not just on a road trip. In marriage, 10 years in, and several kids later, you can feel like your relationship is more assumed than alive. In a job, you can be in a good job that provides for you, but it's boring and nothing excites you about it. It can happen to you spiritually. You're coasting, you're drifting, Maybe you even feel numb to God. And what do you do in that moment? God is calling you to remember, to remember his promises, remember his faithfulness, remember those basic steps of the Christian life. I love this phrase by the pastor Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. That's what the Christian life is. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a lifelong journey. It's one step of faithfulness after another. And over years and decades of that, you will have traveled much further than you would have imagined. And what are we called to remember? Well, if you remember our Exodus series, you'll remember that there were all kinds of details that God gave after the Ten Commandments of how they were to set up the tabernacle and how they were to live and how they were to do this and this. And are we just supposed to remember a bunch of rules and building instructions? Well, no. I think for us living on 
this side of the cross, it's different. As I looked through Scripture to see what are God's people called to remember, I came to this familiar passage. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I love how this fits together with that central question. Does God still care when you're in the doldrums, when he seems distant? And he says the answer to that question is found in remembering Christ on the cross. I care so much about you that I am willing to die to have you. And I want you to remember that. I want you to seal that picture of me suffering on the cross, me giving my life for you into your memory, into your heart, so that you will never forget it. Every week when you gather and celebrate the Lord's Supper, you do it in remembrance of my commitment to you so that you will not lose heart, that you will not give up, that you will not think that I've forgotten you. God is saying, I've invested the life of my only begotten son to have you. Do you think I'm going to lose track of you in Kansas? And this brings us into our second point, the grace of repentance. Verse 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Elijah, if you know the Old Testament, was one of the most famous prophets of Israel. And his job was he came after Moses, and so much of his job was to call the people to remember all those things that God had told Moses back centuries earlier. Now, so often when we feel bored or when we feel in the doldrums, we want something new. We want something exciting. And unfortunately, this has often led Christians astray as they go and try to find something new and exciting. Instead, what we see here in Scripture is the importance of remembering. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has promised you. You don't need something new. You need a long obedience in the same direction. This is why we have these landmarks at JVC, to give you points to help orient your life around, to make sure that you are headed in the right direction. Right? They help you triangulate the path that you are on by asking yourself these diagnostic questions. Am I worshiping? Am I worshiping on Sundays, but am I worshiping also throughout the week and at home and, and with my family? Am I praying? Am I discipling? Am I helping someone else follow Jesus? Am I sharing? Am I taking what I have and using it to bless others? And if, if you are giving yourself to these basic things you can have a pretty good assurance that you're headed on the right path in the Christian life. They're the landmarks for our journey. The Christian life is so much of just one little step of faithfulness after another. And each step doesn't feel like it gets very far, just like any step on one step on a very long hike or one mile on a long road trip. But faithfully, those miles add up. And before you know it, you've covered a good bit of distance. And just as Elijah called the people of the past to remember, our passage says another Elijah is coming who's going to call the people to remember their God. 
And what will be the evidence that they remember? Well, it says in our text, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. A couple of comments on this. First, remembering, remember what I said, remembering is not just kind of like having good memories of something in scripture. It is a remembering that leads to a change in your life, to a softening, to a turning of your heart, to a restoration of your relationships. And God is the foundational relationship that you have so that if your relationship with God erodes, your relationship with others will naturally erode as well. The best way to have a strong relationship with others is to have a strong relationship with God. That takes the first priority. And and why is that? Because when you have a strong relationship with God, it gives you stores and access to grace and to love and to patience and to long-suffering and forgiveness so that then you can love others better because you're not trying to get out of them what you can only get out of God. But it's also speaking about here the relationship, the restoration of the relationship between God and his people. I think the New Living Translation makes this a a bit more clear when it says, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And if you remember back to the beginning of Malachi, what was one of the central issues? Chapter one, verse six, a son honors his father and a slave his master, but if I'm a father, where is the honor due me, says God. It was that father-son relationship between God and his people that had broken down. So Malachi is placed, if you have a paper Bible with you, you can see it right here that on the next page after Malachi is the New Testament. But after Malachi, what we don't realize is between Malachi and the New Testament, there were some 400 years of silence. That's why there's no scripture during that time. God went dark. But then that silence is broken when an angel appears before this old priest named Zechariah, who's serving in the temple and shows up, surprises him and says, guess what, old man? You're going to have a son. Luke 1, 17. And that son will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. It's a fulfillment of our passage here. And soon after, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, gives birth to this child, and they name him John, and we know him as John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus. What I want you to notice here is the grace of God. If you've had kids, you'll find yourself repeating yourself a lot, right? And eventually you get to that point where you're tired of repeating yourself and you you tell your kids something like, don't make me repeat myself. But God is like a loving father who watches his kids stray, but he never gives up on them. He doesn't say, don't make me repeat myself. But instead, he sends them another prophet, another loving messenger to say, remember God. Don't stray from him. Don't give up on him. God is long-suffering. When you forget him, he isn't quick to wash his hands of you. But he sends another Elijah. 
and again and again, he sends another person to call you back to him. God gives lots of space that he fills with his grace to reach wandering people. He doesn't just leave them. And this leads us then to our third point, the grace of judgment. So God says, I'm going to send this new Elijah to warn the people of this coming judgment so that they will be spared. And verse 6 ends with, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And that word translated as total destruction is, is a significant word in the Old Testament. It, it's a word uh, that is used to describe, describe a purging or a cleansing or a complete destruction or wiping the slate clean. If you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God destroyed that, he, it was the same word used to describe what God did there. When the people were going into the promised land and they were taking these cities, like the city of Jericho, it was the word used to describe what they were to do to that city. So it says, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. It's the same word that's used in our passage. And so God is saying that there is coming a day where I will do to the earth what I did to Jericho, what I did to Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be wiped away. And this idea of total destruction, it, it ties into what we talked about last week. And make sure you listen to that sermon if you missed it about God's judgment. You see, God's judgment is coming to bring an end to evil, to quarantine evil so that it will never hurt anyone again. That's what judgment is. It's God taking all of that evil in the world and destroying it so that it has no power. Our world is full of sin. Our world is full of injustice. Our world is full of people that commit crimes and they're never rightly punished for them. And sin is like this incredibly infectious disease that we're all born with and it spreads throughout the world. It is the reason behind why things are broken. It's the reason behind why people hurt each other. It's why we get sick. It's why there's car accidents. It's why people die. And God's judgment is a way of purging the land of that source of evil. It's kind of like, I don't know if they still have them these days, but I remember as a kid, in the dentist's office, they always had that sterilization oven, and they would take all the little instruments that they used to clean your teeth and throw it in the oven and turn the heater on so that it would kill all the germs that were on there after, you know, that came out of your mouth. And God's judgment is like where he will bring into his furnace and he will sterilize this world from all the sin that has marred it. God is building a new creation where there isn't even a scent of death. He's building a new world where the flowers don't fade and you never shed another tear. But the only world, way for that world to be perfect and for it not to get messed up again is for every trace of sin to be destroyed in God's furnace. And that is why our only hope to be saved is in repentance. Because we cannot purge ourselves of our own sin. 
Right? You can do all the good things in the world, but it doesn't remove that latent virus that is still down in there. You can try to cover it up with all kinds of good deeds, but there's still this sickness that we all have that causes us to even want to do the wrong things. And repentance is that first and important step towards healing your soul and your life. It's the way that you change and free yourself from the past. It's the way that you're released from the baggage and the burdens of the things that you've done. And God always leaves a space for repentance. When God was going to bring his judgment on Jericho and that city was going to be completely flattened, the text says, only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. God's saying, I'm going to wipe out this entire city. It's corrupt. Its evil needs to be purged. But there's one person in that city, her and her household, that need to be saved. And, you know, if we were to guess who it would be, you'd probably pick some upstanding citizen or someone who, you know, looked like they were doing all the right things. But God says, no, it's Rahab, the prostitute. Why? Because she remembered God. She showed a sign of repentance. And it doesn't matter how much you've messed up or how lost others might think you are. God's ears are tuned to the cries of repentance. And it's like the cry of your own kid that, you know, a hundred other kids can be screaming, but you hear your kid cry and your ears perk up. When God hears us cry out for mercy, his ears perk up. He hears them. Other people might not think you're deserving of grace. Other people might think you can't change. But God offers repentance, grace to anyone who turns to him. And if you know the story of Jericho, there's this city with these world-famous walls, and in the walls were all the people's houses, including Rahab's. And as that city's walls came tumbling down into a, a dust, Rahab was spared. Even though everything else around her was destroyed, her and her family was kept safe. God cares for his people. Everything can be crumbling around you in your life, but you're still as safe as ever when you're under God's care. So back to our passage. That prophecy of verse 5 was fulfilled with John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist prepared the day for the day of the Lord, which came with Jesus. Early in Jesus' ministry, he goes to a, a, a worship service, a Sabbath worship service, and he reads from Isaiah about the day of the Lord that is coming. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 20, he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled today. Jesus shows up and he says, today is that day of the Lord. Now, follow me here. In our passage, it says that day of the Lord comes with a lot of judgment and destruction where is that judgment? Where is that destruction when Jesus showed up? Matthew 27, verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, the earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. 
That day of judgment fell on Jesus on the cross. Judgment started with the Son of God. It is where Christ went into that oven of God's judgment. It's where he collected all of your sin onto his body. The sin of all those who repent and turn to Christ, he layered it on himself, and then he walked into that cleansing fire where he was destroyed. So that all of your sin has already been burned up on the cross. It's taken care of. It's gone. It's in the past. For us as Christians, our judgment day has already occurred. And now we are living in a space of grace where there's nothing to fear, where we know that God has paid it all, where where we are now living on the other side of having every single one of your sins paid for. And then God did something really amazing because he started his judgment on that day on the cross, but then it's like he hit pause. And scripture then says, the day of the Lord is still coming when Christ returns. And there he will finally finish that work of purging the land of evil. And all who refuse to repent, who refuse to let go of that evil that is in all of us, will meet the same end as it. So that Christ can then finish that work of making all things new, all things bright and beautiful, where there's not even a shadow of death. And why then is God waiting Why did he hit pause on that judgment that started with the cross? 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. And that means it might feel like we're traveling through Kansas and it's hard to keep the faith, but we are actually living in this space of grace. We're living in the space where God has delayed what is to come because God wants every single person to come to repentance. He wants every single person to look to Christ and say, I can't do this on my own. I can't fix the sin. I can't fix the things that are wrong with me. I need Jesus. And God is waiting for that coming day of the Lord because he knows there are more people in this world who he knows and he loves, but don't yet know him. And he wants to give everyone, even the hardest hearted of us, plenty of time to see his grace. He's a patient God. He's a long-suffering God. And part of our role then is that as we see ourselves on this journey, God's saying, guess what, guys? The wagon train's not yet full. There are more stragglers out there. There are more missing persons. There are more people wandering through the plains, unsure of where they're going, and are lost and are confused. And you might be the one to invite them to walk with us on that journey to know Christ. And that's what we're here for. That's why we're still here. And we live in a place where there's lots of people who have not heard of the true grace of Christ. Are you inviting people to walk with us? 
Are your eyes looking out for those people who are wandering, who are lost, who are burned by their sins, who are without hope in the world, wondering how they're going to hang on? And do you have eyes to see them and invite them? Walk with us. Come with us on our journey. Let us show you a God who has made all things new. Let us show you a God who's transformed my life. Are you keeping an eye out for them? Are you praying for them? Maybe it's just as simple as inviting someone to church, praying with someone during the week, inviting them to read the Bible together. God is patient. He wants everyone to come to know him. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to have eyes to see people like you do, to see the people that maybe we think are too far gone, to see the people that our hearts have perhaps gotten hardened to, and to realize that you love so many of them much more than we do. And you don't write them off, but your grace is far, far bigger than our sins and their sins. Lord, help us to be a community where we are inviting people to walk with us on that journey to know Christ. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. And one of the reasons we have this time of confession in our service is to be that reminder, that opportunity for you to be honest about those places where you're not submitting to Christ, those places where you aren't loving God, those places where you've forgotten his promises. Let's all read this confession together as a reminder that we are all in the same place. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We'll read it together, and then I'll give you a few moments to pray silently. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding, and you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yet we have strayed from your way. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, through what we have done and what we have left undone. As we remember the lavish gift of your grace symbolized in baptism, O oh God, we praise that you and give you thanks that you forgive us yet again. Grant us now, we pray, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you and in whose strong name we pray. And Father, hear us now.
And Father, we thank you that you hear us and that we don't have to be afraid of being honest with you because your grace is so much deeper than our sin. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. And brothers and sisters, when you look to Christ, you can be assured of your forgiveness. We're reminded of it in Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And brothers and sisters, you are forgiven in Christ alone.